at? We're on episode 45, and we are going to be talking all about everything you need to know about hatchlings. What we put them on, how we get them established, what's important to get them established, when you should list them, when you should send them out, all that good stuff. So if you guys are in breeding season, this is your first time, or maybe your second rodeo, and you guys are wanting more information on just our experiences, what we do just to double, triple check that what you're doing is good, or I mean, I don't know, maybe what we're doing is not good, but this is going to be the episode for you. Yeah. So Lucas, uh, that baby comes out of the egg. You obviously are going to be throwing it in some water, making sure that it's clean of all its substrate from maybe the uh, hatch tub, making sure all the egg yolks off of it. Where are you putting that snake? What are you putting it on? Straight in the trash. No, I'm joking. Um, so, <laughs> um, I, sure. so yeah, so, I mean, good points right there, even that. So they come out of the egg. First thing you want to do, like Nathan said, you wash them down, give them a nice little bath. You put them in a tub or, um, even if they're coming out one at a time slowly, and it's not like a pile of snakes out of eggs, uh, run them under sink water. If you're pinched for time, just get that goo off of them. Um, and then I've done two different things. Uh, the one that I've done the most is I put them in their rack individually on really wet paper towel. I'm talking about like paper towel wet enough to where um, you can splash a tiny little bit of water on, on the bottom of the tub. Um, you want it very, very, very humid because that first shed that they go through uh, is crucial, making sure that that shed is good. Um the other thing that I've done is I've done the same. So basically what I do is I'll, I'll get the. I, I want to stop you really quick. So are you put, you always put one snake individually in one tub. Yeah. Besides what I was about to get into. Okay. Then get into it. Yeah. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows on morph market and are all over social media. Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for US Arc, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level, you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows, you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stuartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brands own markets. Stuart Design helps create them. 
If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heliguy Serpents, the premier source for 3D-printed caging accessories. Again, that's www dot heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. <laughs> um, so what I've done as well um, that I really like, uh, I did it twice this last year out of my four clutches is I will get, I'll have an extra, like an extra box that I put in the incubator with the eggs in there. And I do the same thing, paper towel, super wet, two water bowls in there and I just, I leave all the babies in there and I leave them all together until they start shedding out one by one. And I'm in there cleaning that box up probably every other day and taking them out. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I know that enough when... to, to separate the ones that have shedded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the times that I've done it, you can, you open the box and you're like, Oh damn, that one shed. Like you can, okay. it's a, day and night I, difference like right before they started shedding this year i was i was separating them i was like i just want to make sure that each one of you i i know for sure but right yeah, maybe thing. maybe with albinos it might be a little more difficult uh no i think even on those there was a drastic enough enough change that i would have been able to tell but you know just for yeah safety sake and just time sake i i separated everything this year yeah then once they shed, if they're in that box all together, that's when I start to put them in their individual rack. And once they shed, I no longer wet that paper towel or the uh, paper substrate for the rack. Um, I don't I don't wet it anymore after that first shed. Um, after that, the only time that I really have wet is if they go into another shed. I just spray spray it down. If I see it dry, I spray it down again. And yeah, I really like that incubator method because it's going to be nice and warm in there. And in the wild, after they get out of the egg, you always see like on national geographic or on animal planet, you always see them all together bunched up. 
Um, and maybe that just makes me feel like it's a little bit more of a natural thing. Yeah, no, I, I did that for, you know, the first few days at least. And then, you know, as soon as I could tell they were getting close to the shed is when I ended up separating. Uh, but I, I'll have to try that incubator thing next year. Yeah, it's nice. And like when you get a, like I, I bought a PVC style incubator that has a light inside and has a, a nice glass door so you can see right in there and you can peek and take a look and you have eyes on them the whole time yeah that's that's what i'm hoping to do i'm hoping to just invest into a wilbanks oh man you yeah. know i'm keep i'm i'm keeping my operation pretty small and uh i have other avenues where i can uh, enjoy reptile breeding on a larger scale so i just think that you know small little wheel bank, wheel banks incubator know that i'm perfectly set up for all my success coming yeah. up and i'll be happy yeah that's gonna be my next uh my next big investment um i'm caught up on cages for now and so uh definitely i've heard great things about it yeah uh, so but, i mean i don't have much to add to what you said i about mean what do you do you set up, i mean how you set up babies and how you handle them after shed and with in terms of misting i do pretty much the exact same thing uh spray them down make sure you have extremely wet paper towel water uh until they go through that first shed i think we add a little bit more with perches i definitely think the perches help in aiding that first shed i mm. noticed a lot of my first sheds wrapped up around the the perches that i have inside the little tubs so the second the third the fourth they're all up there <laughs> so uh shout out chris from hell you guys serpents thank you yeah uh those are working out well but use code trl10 for 10 percent off on his website he has great purchase for not just hatchling tubs but like v20 i mean not v20 v70 v18s just about any rack tub he can make a really cool perch and a way to enrich your animal's life in, in a rack system. Well, and if you have PVC enclosures, he has stuff for sky hides. You know, he, he does yeah. a lot of stuff with his uh, little 3D printer over there. And he does uh, YouTube videos. So follow him over there and watch some of your stuff being printed out. I've done that a couple of nights when I'm up late. It's cool. <laughs> um, speaking of, um, so, I mean, before I would kind of just do like one hide what did you do that first year that you had them for your, for that little bit of time? Uh, in terms of hides, I, I only offer it to the uh, hatchlings that I noticed being maybe a little less confident, maybe not taking their first meal. Uh, so maybe we should get into offering their first meal before that. Cause that kind of determines what oh, I yeah. need in terms of extras for each individual. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so that this is the fun part about breeding any species. And fortunately, if you're a retic breeder or a retic owner and you're getting into breeding, uh, for the most part, you typically don't have too much to worry about about getting your snakes established with feeding. But um, my very first experience, I was dragged through the ringer, and I have a pretty unique situation right now. Um, that's the first time it's happened to me. So before I go into that, Nathan... Um, how long do you typically wait? Yeah, so after, to feed after their first shed, which takes how long roughly? Oh, what ten days for me typically? Yeah, roughly? it's like seven to ten days, something like that. Yeah, not too long. 
Um, and they're still absorbing their, their first meal. So I'm also looking not just after their shed, but I'm looking for them peeing and pooping because they're pooping out that egg yolk that they absorb. It's like green and yellow brown. Yeah, muck. it's not. It's you don't get poops yet. Not until you you feed. It's like splats. Yeah, it's little splats. <laughs> you you know you really don't have to clean it much, honestly. Yeah. Um, but within that first seven to ten days, they shed out. Um, I probably wait another, you know, four to five days, and just really wait until they're active and looking for something, and then I start offering the first meal. Yeah. Uh, now, um, oh, go for it. I was gonna say, I have had you know success and some failures in terms of feeding this this clutch, but you know I think that comes with any clutch that you hatch out. You might have to do a little bit more to get those hatchlings to start eating. But once they start eating, they're pretty easy to get going. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about those tips and tricks here in a few, once we kind of get through these points, going to make you wait for the good stuff for those of you that are listening to see if we talk about any of that. But, um, yeah, I, so you wait for that. So after that first shed, you're looking based on activity and, uh, waiting to see if they, they go a little bit without looking, looking for, yeah. Looking for that, that, yeah, the splats to slow down. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, those are really good. Like, if I were to probably give any, like, if someone asked me and messaged me, I'd probably say the same thing. Um, now, my very first clutch, I was super excited, and I fed within, like, a week. And my first clutch was, like, an anomaly, so it doesn't really count, but I'll share my experience. Um, so I, I had my wild caught pairing and basically you know texas winter storm bunch of other issues went down and i was left with two babies um out of those two babies um one of them didn't have a tongue um and the other one uh was tiny and the umbilical cord was wrapped around it so i had to cut that umbilical cord uh, to get itself free because it was too tight. I couldn't untangle it. And then I had to tie that umbilical cord with dental floss so that it wasn't bleeding profusely. Um, and they did not eat. It was three months after they didn't eat and I saw them really losing weight. Um, that was my first clutch I've ever done of anything. And there was that one animal with the tongue flick that was normal. And this was a new line of Kalatoa from wild caught animals. And so I went the force feeding route and um, I didn't like it. And I'm sure breeders listening to this that have done it over and over, especially ball python breeders. I know you guys do it and retake breeders probably do it a lot, but um, when was your first force feed? Like it was like how long after like it was like three and a half, four months in, like I waited until I saw a noticeable decrease in body. Yeah. Like, I started waiting until I started seeing some of the flaps of the skin and um, probably like three, three months in um, and force feeding tiny little super dwarfs was a pain in the ass. Um, and it was stressful. Um, I ended up losing the one without a tongue after a few force feeds and it probably took about four force feeds for the other one uh, to be able to take, 
I would still have to assist feed, but it finally was able to start swallowing on its own. And after it swallowed on its own two times, it started eating by itself. But that was a very stressful experience to me. Um, and by the way, I did that after offering live. I did the tuna can trip tip um, and uh, nothing. So I force fed. Wasn't fun. And that kind of is going to lead me over to kind of my rant of the episode. Um, I I don't believe in force feeding anymore. I don't care if it's a, a world's first. I don't care if it's a new line. Um, I don't know what struck me to feel strongly about this, but just kind of the realization, especially because I'm breeding a lot of locality stuff. If we are unable to get any fresh imported blood and we continue to establish weak animals and force them to be strong and grow when they start off weak and would likely die without our help, that's not an animal I believe should be in the gene pool. Um, I don't know. People might not uh, agree with that or might think it's cruel, but that's just how I feel. And I don't think that's at least an animal that I wouldn't want to personally sell. Right, right. Like, wouldn't sell. I don't want it out there. I don't want producing. Now, the one that I force fed that's alive, that was the first snake I ever produced. She's two years old. Uh, she's growing well. Digestion is is great. Um, she's not going to be bred. She's my pet. Like, that's the first snake I ever produced. I have a sentimental connection with her. and But I don't think people should be force feeding and then selling animals. If an animal is not taken live, if it's not taking frozen thought, if it's not doing anything, uh, you know, that, that animal, I don't think has what it takes to carry out strong genetics. Well, and we haven't even gotten into that whole process yet. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, that was that experience. But after that, um, I've produced a clutch of F1s, F2s, F1s, and then mainlands. And I've never had an issue. I typically wait uh, two to three weeks. Like I wait until they're completely done pooping the splats. Um, and I like to see them pacing and moving around. I want them to be hungry. Like I want to open up my enclosure and the snakes start looking, uh, instead of hiding. Oh right? yeah. And when you start offering, you see that little switch right. of when they start noticing the food and going after it. There's a right. clear difference between when they're just defensive and backing up from the prey item and when mm -hmm. that like clicks in their head that, oh, this is food, like, oh, and then they start advancing towards it. Yeah. Um, and it's a really good sign to see that. Uh, and with the F1, F2 clutches that I've produced, not a single issue. Um, maybe had a few that, you know, would like my biggest issue was just the whole bite wrap and then drop and not find it. And they look like idiots and then leave it there. Um, but that, that I notice a lot of those animals, if you just offer that prey item again, yeah. they typically go for it and figure it out. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. That's typically that, that's what I would do. And even like, if they do it right away, as I'm going through, I'll just offer a second one from the bucket and then just, I grab that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll switch out prey. Like you gotta, you gotta kind of throw everything at, at these little guys to get them to realize it's feeding time for the first time. So right. let's get into what we're offering uh, and maybe just some of the general tips and tricks for some of, some of those stubborn feeders. Yeah. 
Um, before we do that, I want to say that I, I produced my first mainland clutch and um, we're a month into it. And just right before this episode, I finally got one of them to eat. And it was kind of like an accident. It was a leftover from another clutch I was feeding. Just happened to open a tub of a busy one, but they had denied two different times. So from my experience, the F1, F2s are so much easier to establish than these mainlands have been so far. Yeah, they don't even look close. I'll open up the tub and they're like hiding and throw a coil over their head. And I'm like, seriously? They're like <laughs> twice the size of the Superdorst. And I'm like, come on. Um, But anyways. Yeah. So what what are you typically offering to your hatchlings for the first time? Uh, depending on size. So my pure Kalatos, pure Kaiwatis, I'm offering them. Uh, what's the size? So mice fuzzies. Uh, um, hoppers? Nope, fuzzies. Right below hoppers. Okay, I offer hoppers. Yeah, right below hoppers for the pures. Um, and for these mainlands, they're starting on small mice. I've tried doing reptilinks in the past, and I've gotten a few to to take them. Uh, let's see. For the for so I had twins in my Kaiwadi clutch. And I had to feed them pinky mice. So they were really small. Yeah. Um, they were like literally like a third of the width of my my pinky. Um, so they got pinky mice, uh, but quickly grew and upgraded. But for the Superdorf stuff, fuzzy mice, and I think you saying hopper mice, I think that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, you still want I at least for me, I still want to see a pretty decent lump in that first meal. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, and I've, I've said this before, my method of hatchlings and getting them established is I am very, um, persistent with feeding often and good sized meals when they're young. Cause I really want to help them develop a very strong digestive system very early on in life. Um, I don't want to make them go 10 days, 12 days before that next meal. Uh, unless they're in a shed, I, I really want to get that metabolism speeding, breaking down food quickly. And yeah. Yeah. Every, I would say every five to seven days is where I like to keep it. Right. Uh, let's talk about, well, you know what, before we go into that, let me just go ahead and give a shout out to our patrons and drop that plug. Um, so we're, we're climbing up the ladder on, on members on Patreon. Again, just want to thank you guys so much. The communication support, um, through, you know, the last couple of weeks, it's been kind of crazy in the retake industry, uh, if you're not aware. And so, um, it's been really nice to see the support and, um, just camaraderie and family-like orientation there. So shout out to our patrons. If you want to join, uh, patreon.com forward slash the retake lounge and during baby season, hatchling season, egg cutting season, all that stuff, that's all backseat access that you get. Uh, if you join the Patreon, those are things that we do to provide additional content. So that way you get a little bit more of a hands-on look at those kind of things since this is kind of just like a talk platform. Uh, and we also do Zoom meetings every other Friday. Uh, speaking of, we'll be doing one tonight. So if you're watching this episode when it drops, we'll be seeing you. But anyways, Lucas, um, let's get into some tips for some of those stubborn guys. So one thing I want to bring up real quick, just for if I've offered once or twice and they're still not taking, uh, one thing I really like to do is I like to thaw out that feeder right in front of their tub. 
So they're actively smelling it the entire time that it's thawing out. Sometimes, I like that. Sometimes that helps trigger them. Uh, I know there's the tuna can trick and, you know. Um, That's desperate measures there, right there. There's, don't some people do like smelt? The fuck? What's, excuse me, what's smell? It's like a really like smelly fish. Oh, oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, that could be a thing. Maybe I, I don't think I've heard of that for retics. Um, but I, yeah, it makes I'm sense. not sure. I I haven't had to use any of these tricks yet. Uh, besides just you know thawing out the the rodent right in front of the tub. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've had to use a whole bunch of things. Remember, I had that first clutch that that uh, I talked about earlier, the force feeding, and so I write. I reached out to probably a dozen people. Um that all have been breeding for a while to get different tips, different tricks. And I tried every single one of them. Um, so I'm just going to list what I've tried. So obviously I start all my babies off on frozen thawed. I never go to live right away. Yeah. Um, live is the absolute last resort. So if, if my last tip didn't help, that's, that's where I'm going to a live hopper. Right. Um, so I, Okay, so frozen thaw didn't work. It wasn't working. Um, next thing I did was the tuna can method. So basically, you crack a can of tuna and, and you just you dip the rat in there and get some smell. Ooh, one thing that I didn't try that works really, really well with um, uh, green tree pythons is uh, using uh, down, like chicken down, like wings. What? Or uh, what? Not downs. What the hell's the word? I'm um, um wings. I said freaking the wings. Feathers? Sorry, I'm hungry. Yeah, the feathers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Chicken. I think it's called downs. Any or <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrible. Oh, I'm gonna. Oof, that's bad. Okay. So yeah. So basically, you can buy the little, uh, really light, like fluffy feathers from really young yeah. chicks, and um, so that could possibly work. Um, another method that works for people if they're not wanting the rodents like if you are trying a mouse go to a rat a pinky rat if that doesn't work try if you have a large enough hatchling go to a chick um that's going to be mostly for like the mainland or the larger i was gonna say yeah yeah um could definitely not eat the smallest chick yeah no um but i mean i tried so i was told by someone to um so I, I then tried live and at that point I was like, let me do a hopper because it moves around. And this was my first experience with live since I was a kid. So like, I, I didn't really remember the developmental stage that a hopper was at. And so when I put the hopper in there and see this bitch just freaking sprinting all over the enclosure with all this energy, I was like, Oh, that's definitely going to scare them. And sure enough, it scared them. So, um, that didn't work. And then I went live, but a step down to the fuzzies where it's kind of just like flopping everywhere. Uh, that didn't work. Then I was told, put the snake in the brown paper bag that you get the live animal from so that it's in that bag. It's dark and you're putting just like a little fuzzy or pinky that doesn't move much and it's not going to bite or hurt the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't work. Tried leaving it overnight. That didn't work frozen overnight that didn't work um by the way all of these usually work remember i had a runty bad experience for one had no tongue i mean come on um i mean the one that i still don't have eating 
is the one with the enlarged heart. So, I mean, that's one of those cases yeah. where like, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to force the issue. Right. And mine, like number one tip is be patient. Like if your snake doesn't eat for three weeks, it's fine. If your snake doesn't eat for two months, it's still more than likely fine. Unless it like did not absorb any yolk because you cut too early and yanked the snake out of the egg. Um, if it absorbed most of that yolk, you're probably not going to notice deterioration in terms of weight until like month three or four uh, for the smaller superdorf stuff. So just be patient. If you offer food, wait a week. Don't go two days later. Like give it a reset. Don't freak it out. It's typically because it's timid and scared and it's not hungry yet because it absorbed the yolk. So its instincts aren't exactly fully activated yet. Um, so I like, do want to jump back to the splat real quick, just because you want to make sure that like each individual hatchling is passing something during this time. If mm -hmm. they're not, then it could be a digestion issue. So just that's one thing to just be on the lookout for. Actually, now that you mentioned that, um, oftentimes if you don't provide the adequate heat for your hatchlings or um, but when they have a big belly from the yolk, there is complications that can happen with that, that the yolk gets hard in their belly, um, and can harden up and doesn't get passed through. So you have to be very, very careful with that. Um, you know, I know people who just will give warm baths, gently massage, right. To get that down, break it down. Um, but ultimately, if you're not comfortable with that, and I'm never going to recommend veterinary care advice on a podcast, um, you know, take it to a vet if it's not passing that and it's building up and really, really, because sometimes it can be super hard, like very concerningly hard. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, another thing that I think has worked for me, and it even works with the ones that I have established now, but like they're only on meal four or five, but like, You'll have some animals that'll strike, wrap, and then hold on to it. It doesn't drop right away. But like if you start feeding the other animals and moving around in front of the tub in the rack, um, you might spook it, scare it, um, and it might stop trying to eat. And it's focused on you doing your other, you know, animals in the rack. So for those like nervous animals, like I often you know, I'll leave a note, like a little color code of orange tape on my my thing that lets me know it's a finicky eater or a dropper or whatever the case may be, or it doesn't like to be bothered. And so um, I'll feed that one, leave the garage, turn off the lights, let it do its thing. And that typically works. Um, darkness does wonders for nervous babies. You're on mute. <laughs> yes. The, yes. First, the first time of 2023, it only took me... No, that wasn't the first. I think that was the second. No, I that, think it's that's I think it's first. two to oh, I had my I'm score pretty, is like two to five. I'm pretty sure that's the first of 2023. And if I'm right, that's six months. That's impressive. Yep, I'm proud of you. You've Thank come you. a long way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, so good. I do like episode over, episode over. We're gonna stop right here. <laughs> I do like that my tubs are uh, like they have no visibility through at least for the hatchlings for the first. Oh, time. you have the dark gray ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I I've always thought about trying those out. Yeah, that's nice, but same thing. Like 
if you even move that tub in too fast right after they wrap it, there's the chance that you let them go. So I, I mean, I'm pushing that thing while trying not to make any movement while that snake's going back in. And same thing when I'm pulling out tubs next to it or under it, like I'm just trying not to be too fast and aggressive. I know I have 17 animals or in this clutch that I need to feed, but I have to do it slow and periodically or else I'm going to have more frustrations. Right. And if you have a snake that like hasn't eaten or it like drops and drops and it like still hasn't eaten, um, if you get the opportunity to feed that animal and it strike wraps and doesn't drop, don't move. Like, I I can't tell you how many times I've waited 10 minutes to watch it finally finish its meal and get it like halfway down its throat to then slide the cage uh, or the tub back in. Like sometimes, sometimes you gotta do crazy stuff like that where you just gotta watch it, sit, wait, like don't move a muscle. Don't breathe on it. Don't breathe. Period. Have a sleepless night or or plan accordingly and try throughout the day. Right. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, just you can't go wrong with any type of uh, response that you have to not freak the snake out, to to try to get it to eat. Because at the end of the day, we want to get them established. And um, I would say more times than not have I run across a snake that wants to eat, bite, and constricts, but just either gets too nervous or uh, just can't find the head. And so for those animals, you'll run into that probably more often than not, um, than, than snakes not eating, just freeze, don't move, try feeding at night in the dark. Uh, yeah, you had, a, I looked up at the screen and you had a funny smile on. I, yeah, no. I don't know. What, no. Have I seen things? Yeah, I, I didn't probably. have anything to add there. Otherwise okay. I would have said something. Sorry. Any, any tips or things that you've done that I, that we haven't mentioned? I think just like post feeding care, uh, you know, make sure you're not handling that snake for the first 24 hours or so. Just give it some time to really get that down into its belly, uh, start digesting. And then within the first 48 hours, 72 hours, you're going to see that snake start to pass that meal. So just be on top of cleaning, you know, like it, for me, at least in my ambient, like on the third day, um, splat and then poop. Yep. Right. Like, so still got a little splat, but poop. I, I forgot out. how much worse for some reason the baby poop smells. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. It's, it's not fun. Um, you're like, I'm a dad. It, it, like, the real, I, dude, real baby poop smells worse. Dude, I was so concerned about fatherhood because I have a sensitive nose and I was traumatized as a kid growing up by my brothers. They would pin me down to the ground and they would like hang loogies over my face. Oh. Um, yeah, they, they, they fucked me. Um, but Whoa, uh, they did what? No, no, <laughs> no, they, they messed with my head. Um, and it got to the point where like they could look at me and just like pretend to make a gagging noise and I might, I would just start you know, gaggy. And I've always been sensitive to smells. Um, and so I was terrified about becoming a dad. And, uh, I was shocked that just, I don't know if it's instinct or whatever the case may be. It wasn't like that, but you are absolutely right. Right. Baby poop. You (laughs) just about as white as, um, but you are, um, yeah, you're right. The, the, 
child poop does or toddler poop smells a lot worse than snake poop but still um what's <laughs> been a lifesaver for me this got off really far but what's worked for me in terms of smell in general is um i've had air purifiers in my garage and uh they all do a little clean bit in the damn cage well obviously that, that but i mean much. yeah but when you walk into a room you don't want to smell anything, right? You clean it, and then eventually the smell goes away a little bit. But what happens when you I have mean, a I have air circulation, so it doesn't smell bad, but I can tell that something's pooped when I walk in the room. I'd like to know that. Well, yeah, clearly, right? Um, but uh, when you keep on paper and your collection gets larger, the smell intensifies. And then, you know, I that's a big reason why I switched over to Aspen. But um, I had air purifiers, and they were all okay. Um Someone advised that I get the molecule, which is really expensive, but I got this molecule and um, the only thing I smell in my garage when I walk in is Aspen. And that can be after a like Picasso poop paint on a big enclosure with a big snake. Um, Before it would take like if a snake dropped and didn't eat, I could smell it, you know, the next evening when I went into the garage, I would smell, you know, that, that beginning stage of just like a rat you know decaying or just smells like death um i've gone it's been you're saying you can't smell the decay with with the molecule no dude like hampton pruitt needs to invest in these then like 10 of them 10 of them for his facility i i I don't think 10 is enough but (laughs) but no i mean sometimes like it'll take sometimes up to three days uh for for like hatchling size food for like mouse or things like that but it's it's crazy so now i i make sure that when i feed the hatchling rack i check the very next day no matter what even if they're established and they're eating very well because um i've gone back three days later to replace water and to check on them, and I, I see rats in there, and I'm like, why did I not smell this? It's been three freaking days, and I know that's gross, okay? But I just, if you're looking to reduce the smell of pee, urine, and you keep on paper, you have your snakes in your house, get a molecule. Oh, my God. This is just making me want to keep my collection smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I used to have uh, my snakes in, like, like so my i need to be able to check everything right after it eats and make sure that it it digests or else i can't go to sleep oh i mean it's yeah i mean when you start to breed like i had 3 4 clutches so when you have a rack of 65 babies you know it's yeah no i, I... so i mean when when i thaw stuff out and i have something refuse to eat it and I get to that point where I, I just have to go to bed. I'll offer it as a snack to one of the smaller animals. Right, right. So in these circumstances, typically it's like I feed, it bites, it wraps, I close the tub. And then, you know, before when I went into the snake room the next day before the molecule, um, I would be able to smell it. I'd start going through and I'd remove it. But now with the molecule, it's it's a it's a routine thing that I do. Very next day on any of these snakes in the racks, I check to make sure that they ate because I, I won't smell it. It's pretty crazy. All right. We're not sponsored by them yet, so let's <laughs> Right. Yeah. Tone it tone it down. Come on, Lucas. <laughs> tone it down. Um, yeah, that was not a sponsored ad, but um, yeah, get one. <laughs> Good investment. I used to keep my snakes like in my kitchen, like towards the right where like the day table would be. 
dude, when you keep retakes on paper in your kitchen, talk about like ruffling up your marriage a bit. <laughs> Wife's in there making dinner and she's like, I can hear your snake ripping ass. It's literally, and it smells, it's horrible. So yeah, when everything was big, I, I've always had a separate room for them. So that that's been nice for sure. Uh, anything else you want to add to this? Uh, there was something on my mind earlier, but it kind of left my brain. I think it was in regards to, um, oh, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you do? So like your snakes, like your snakes hatch, like how often do you handle them before the first shed after the first shed? Do you monitor that? Do you limit that? Like I, I'm very like hands off until they take that first meal and then I'll handle them all the time. So first shed, uh, I take them out. I have a big photo box set up like we talked about in last episode. Um, I sex them really quick, get peed on, and uh, set them in the light box, take a picture, and then pretty much same thing. Hands off, wait to get their first meal, get them established. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm super excited about them, like usually the first clutch of the season or, or you know, I, 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 if, if they're coming out and they're like trying to explore, then yes, I'll let them, I'll let them come out, but I'm not right. trying to handle them. And I just checking on them, That's making, making sure that any maintenance that needs to be done is getting done. That's the best experience. Like a lot of the F1s, F2s that I produce a Kaiwadi Kalatoa clutch, like you open up that tub and you, a lot of them are very inquisitive and just come out and like you could put your hand up and start exploring this mainland clutch that I just produced. They all are so scared of life. Like they, I open it up and they're just like reclused in the back corner and I don't know. It's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a handful of those, so I get it. All right. So before we tune out, um, if you guys are listening on YouTube, Hit that notification bell so that you guys can be reminded when our episodes drop on Friday. Sometimes we post them first thing in the morning, but, uh, you know, last Friday I was busy with family, didn't get to it later. Um, Spotify and Apple Podcast people, appreciate the support on there. We actually are getting quite a lot of traction on there, which is awesome because that's typically where I listen to all of my format as well. And, uh, yeah, you got anything else? No, we'll see everyone on our Patreon Zoom meeting tonight. Unless you're a loser. (laughs) And if you're not a loser, we'll see you next week.